This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Obi Jin and New York Times bestselling author Dr. Jen Gunter to the show. Dr. Jen has more than three decades of experience as a vulvular and vaginal disease expert. Between TED Talks, podcasts, blogs, and television series, Dr. Jen has appeared across multiple media platforms to dispel myths and combat misinformation surrounding female health. A funny thing happens when we become moms. Regardless of how diligent we used to be about our health, we often find ourselves neglecting it after we have a baby. Part of the reason is that we're conditioned to put our needs last, focusing instead on everyone else. Part of the reason is that the mental load can leave us too exhausted to even notice our physical symptoms let alone research doctors and book appointments. And part of the reason is that as humans, we are very bad at determining whether our baseline is normal or a sign that something might be wrong. We often think that whatever we're going through is probably just something everyone deals with, even if that something is pain, fatigue, or discomfort. And as moms, mothering in a society that tells us that we always need to be doing more and that feeling depleted is just part of the job, It can be even harder to determine if something is going on, both with our mental and physical health. Even if we do determine that something seems off, we might not understand whether our struggles are physical and hormonal, mental health related, or both. That's why I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Jen to the podcast. In today's episode, Dr. Jen and I unpack the myths surrounding hormones and our menstrual cycles and discuss where these myths and misinformation stem from. We also talk about symptoms of PMS and PMDD and how to determine whether your experience is within the typical range or a sign to speak to your doctor. We unpack the role of the mental load and how feeling depleted could be a sign of something physical or simply your body telling you that you are at capacity. But before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review is called What I Needed and it's from Emily. What can I say that so many others had already said? I discovered this podcast in the midst of suffering from severe postnatal anxiety and depression after having my baby. Despite the difficulties I've had, listening to Erica and her guests have been my one constant, immensely helpful and insightful in understanding a variety of issues mothers or partners can face. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for leaving this review, and I'm sorry to hear that your adjustment to motherhood brought struggling with postpartum anxiety and depression. It's not usually what we expect, and I've been there and know it can be really difficult to navigate. I'm glad that the podcast has helped you along the way, and it means so much to hear the difference that it's making for you. Thank you for taking the time to leave this review. For those of you out there listening, I can't overstate how much of a difference your reviews make for the podcast. I pay attention to what episodes are resonating, what you're struggling with, and how the podcast can help. So if the show's had an impact on you or you have something specifically you would like us to cover, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Now let's hear my conversation with Obi Jin and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Jen Gunter. Are you facing challenges on your motherhood journey? Do you have questions about a specific topic? Our new Streamline Learning Center makes it easier than ever for you to find the answers you're looking for. Browse our new platform to discover practical tips and how to overcome challenges. At MomWell, we believe that psychoeducation and mental health literacy is a form of care. 
That's why we work hard to bring you the best experts, leading authorities, and professionals who know what it's like to struggle during motherhood. It's also why we want you to be able to access the information you need right at your fingertips. Our Learning Center is organized with busy moms in mind. With just a few clicks, you can sort through articles by category or topic, quickly finding the resources to answer your questions. Search through categories including maternal mental health, parenting, the first year, relationships, the invisible load, women's physical health, or partner support. Or browse our list of more specific topics and keywords. Learn on your own terms and walk away feeling supported, empowered, and more confident to tackle those tough motherhood moments. Head to momwell.com slash learning center to learn more. That's momwell.com slash learning center. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I have been seeing you all over my For You page on TikTok and so excited about the release of your upcoming book. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I have a very pressing burning question that I think I learned in the book. Are you Canadian? Did you grow up in Winnipeg? Is that what I read? Yeah, yeah, I'm from Winnipeg. I grew up in River Heights for anybody who knows Winnipeg. So, yeah. Okay. Because you are now on the West Coast. Are you in the U.S. now? Yeah. So, I'm in, I've been in the U.S. since 1995, but I, from Canada, I did all my training in Canada. And then I came down to the States to do a fellowship and then I ended up staying. So, that's the pathway. And then yeah. I've just been kind of gradually moving west. I started in Kansas City and then moved to Denver, and now I'm in California. I feel like with the sunshine, I want to end up in California too. <laughs> we'll see. I'm just outside of the Toronto area, so I was pleasantly surprised to learn that. So that's exciting. Yeah, GTA. I know. So I'm so curious, as an OB-GYN by training and designation, like multi-best-selling author creator, big platform. How did you find your way into this more creative and content side of things? Because it's kind of atypical for for professionals to find themselves in this type of world. Yeah. So I got into, I would say, trying to decrease the education gap, Mm. right? Or improve the communication gap between physicians and patients, you know, because of my own experience. So I had a very complicated pregnancy. I had triplets and uh, delivered very prematurely. And one of my sons died and my other two sons were in the ICU for a very long period of time and had all kinds of other health problems. Okay. And I really felt like I needed a medical degree to navigate that. Like it Mm. was so complex and so difficult. 
And obviously, a lot of the things the doctors have to explain to you are like, they're super complex. And, you know, they do their best, sometimes not, but most of the time they're trying their best. And I started to see, because when you're, you know, in the ICU, you get to know the same sort of group of parents that are going through at the same time. And you end up sitting in the waiting room. And then I would see, you know, interactions that they would have with physicians. And it was clear to me that they didn't understand what was said. Mm. Either the physician came out and said something that was actually good news and they were crying because they thought it was bad or, you know, or, or vice versa. And it started to really just become really apparent to me. And I would lean over and say, well, ask them this question or make sure you tell them you didn't understand that part because that's actually the critical part, the part that you didn't ask about. And so I just started putting the puzzle pieces together. There was just, just this massive communication gap in medicine. And obviously I think like the more acute the care is and the more technical, you know, probably mm. even the greater the gap. And so when my kids came home from the hospital and they were about three and everything was less crazy because they were on oxygen for a year and all, you know, all kinds of stuff, yeah. surgeries. And, and I just decided that I was going to write a book on prematurity to try to help parents to try to say, look, this is what all this means. This is how to navigate it. And then after I did that, I sort of thought, well, maybe I should look in my own backyard. Medicine's hard enough. Being sick is hard enough. And mm. it's really sucks when there are communication issues or when people have been led astray. I mean, I, you know, I would think about my own patients who had, you know, gone to naturopaths and done testing that was absolutely not indicated and, you know, foregone good quality medical care for years because they'd been misled by conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, you know, all of that, you know, comes down to communication. So I just decided I was going to try to do my best to fix that. And so here I am. I appreciate that so much because you're talking about like a very complex interaction with the medical system. And of course, there are probably names and procedures and things that we've never even heard of that are hard to navigate. But then also with your new book, Blood, and with the moms that I work with navigating the system in a very sort of business as usual way, I find that we're still having such a hard time getting the care that we need. And Sometimes we also are not even empowered ourselves to have the conversations because they're still stigmatized when we're talking periods and cycles and all kinds of things. So I feel like there are so many barriers even still in the more like daily functioning things that we live with mm -hmm. and we kind of white knuckle through that there could be helpful solutions for that we still feel maybe even anxiety or shame in talking to our provider about or... Uh, yeah, like some of the myths, even when talking about our cycles, because of all of the misperception or the myths here, can we unpack those a little? Yeah, I mean, they're very, very pervasive. And, you know, you see the same myths that are like a thousand years old still coming out on Instagram. I mean, somebody sent me a clip from some chiropractor the other day who's talking about how you detox with your menstrual cycle and you get, remove toxins. And it's like mm. the human body doesn't make toxins. Like we don't have toxins in our body and we don't need a detox. And you remove harmful substances through your liver and kidneys. So, you know, it's just it, this whole idea of like menotoxins or menstrual toxins that menstruating women were toxic and harmful. 
you know, goes back to the beginning of sort of Greek medicine, you know, and has been perpetuated by the patriarchy. And to see that on, you know, an Instagram account with 3 million followers is just, Mm. it's really something like, you know, really, really you. So then what happens then when you're pregnant to those toxins? Like you just have to follow it. Like you didn't really need to be a doctor. It's like, really? So, and then how do men get rid of toxins? Do women have special toxins they need to get rid of? Like what? So you think women are dirty? Like if you follow it through, you know, it's not a good conclusion. So yeah. So that idea that menstruation is dirty or polluting is obviously still popular or common. It's basically one of the core tenets of the patriarchy. Hmm. So there's that one. You know, another one that's so common is cycle syncing. You know, we don't sync cycles. Hmm. Humans don't have pheromones, which is always a surpriser to people, but Hmm. we don't actually have the organ to detect pheromones. It's called a vomeronasal organ. We don't have that. So there's never been concrete evidence of humans having pheromones, but that being said, we know how the menstrual cycle works. And this idea of menstrual cycle syncing came from not a very good study from a long time ago. Mm. And so, you know, we need to sort of not be embracing those myths because they're harmful. They lead to people learning less about their body. Yeah. One of the things that I found was coming up in a lot of conversations, I don't know if it's like the human design understanding yourself conversation, but was breaking down the different menstrual phases and how you function optimally or less optimally according to those phases. Now, having seen in your book and just recently seeing the layout of the hormonal fluctuations that happen throughout a menstrual cycle in the month, I can understand how for those of us, so I'm ADHD, which statistically makes me more hormonally sensitive. I went through postpartum depression, also makes me more susceptible to perimenopause coming up and things like that. So is there truth to some of that where we should plan our life a little bit around these stages or is that taking it to an extreme? So there's never been a publication that has supported that. That's something Mm. that people who want to sell you coaching services have come up with. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So think about it. Think about a thousand years ago, you had to go get food. Do you think that like if your menstrual cycle was that fragile with how you functioned, that how would we be here? So there's that, but there's no data to support that. And what happens is people make these grand statements and then it's unstudied in medicine because it's not a phenomenon we've sort of noticed. And then we're scrambling to explain something because people have just said things without any backing evidence. So it's absolutely true there's hormonal fluctuations. And it's absolutely true that at different times of the cycle, people may feel better or not better. But it's not something that you need to become obsessive about tracking and saying, well, I can't do this today because I'm in this phase, Right. right? Like we all know how we feel on a given day. And there could be lots of different reasons you feel a different way. You know, we also used to live a little bit more collectively. We used to have a grandmother in the house and maybe sisters, right? And so you had a collective of people working together. So if maybe you didn't feel as good on a different day, you had someone else who could maybe help out more and, you know, the same, you would do the same for other people. So we just don't have data that people should be planning their work around their menstrual cycle. I mean, there's been this whole thing about people 
planning their workout around their menstrual cycle. And there's Mm. no data to support that at all, Mm -hmm. you know, but people sell books off of it and, you know, they sell coaching platforms off of it. And it really boils down to, you know what, if your breasts hurt, maybe don't do upper body exercises because maybe that's going to make it hurt more. Or if it doesn't, okay. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think Mm -hmm. this idea that the menstrual cycle makes us very fragile If you follow that conversation through, and I'm a little bit concerned about that messaging without data to support it, right? Right. Because then you're saying women are less competent at different times of the month. Then you're saying they're too hormonal to do things, Mm, right? It feeds into that hysteria mindset of just chalking it up to hormones or like that has become such a blanket write off for so many women's health issues along the way and mental health issues. And it kind of feeds into that narrative still a little bit. You know, we're very complex beings and there really aren't good studies to show that specific hormone levels make people feel specific ways. Mm -hmm. So because it's not just about hormone levels, it's about how they fluctuate. It's about your hormone receptors. It's about your genetics. It's about your epigenetics, about everything that makes you a whole person, right? Yeah. So I would say that focusing on like on day four of the cycle, I shouldn't be doing this. There isn't any data to support that. If that's how Mm -hmm. you like to live your life, that's totally fine. Right. But we also know from sleep tracking, when people are really obsessive about sleep tracking, that that can actually lead to anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's just important that, you know, people think about how this is improving or not improving their quality of life. And that's only a question that an individual can answer. If you feel that, hey, you know, the second week of my cycle, I'm the most productive, that's how it seems to have been historically for me. And so I'm going to, you know, try to schedule more things then. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that we really have science to say you should or shouldn't be doing things that way. I'd love to Mm -hmm. see those people making those claims actually do some research to back that up. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because I think that it also starts to leave less room for conversation. Like people then won't talk to their provider about, PMS symptoms that are more extreme and interfering with their life because they might just attribute it to this cycle. And I think that we might start to overlook actually disruptive things like PMDD or whatever by chalking it up to just this like hormone cycling because they think, I don't know, there are people who it is actually very disruptive for. And if we come across this viral piece of content that has no real backing, and we don't actually seek out the care that we might need that might have actual solutions for it, then I don't know, it bites us and doesn't get us the true support that we might need from our provider. Yeah. So incorrect information has a lot of impact and it can lead people to think that, oh, maybe this is just normal when maybe you actually have PMDD. Right. Because, you know, if you're having severe depressive symptoms and difficulty functioning. And, you know, it's really, a, you know, one specific time of the month, you really need to see a medical provider. Right. We need a couple of months of cycle data so we can see, you know, because it can also sometimes be depression that's exacerbated by the menstrual cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is true that many medical conditions fluctuate with the menstrual cycle. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. So for example, if somebody maybe has rheumatoid arthritis and maybe they have a particular time of their cycle where things are worse, well, the thing to do is to sort of, you you keep a calendar for two months and just put your symptoms down and then you can work out what works for you. And so that's a bit different, you know, having it come from you 
is a lot different than someone saying, you know, on the first four days of the cycle, you shouldn't be doing this. On day 10 to 12, you shouldn't be doing this. So it's a very different way of looking at it, right? One's much more holistic and what works better for me, right? Like some people are morning people. It's kind of an extension of that. But yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first thing I tell people is if you think you're having a cyclic variation in some type of symptom, we need, you know, a menstrual calendar for a couple of months Mm. so we can see. Mm -hmm. And I explain, you know, there are very real medical conditions that, you know, there's PMS and PMDD where absolutely those conditions are triggered in the second half of the menstrual cycle. There's menstrual migraines. There's depression that can worsen Mm -hmm. with the menstrual cycle. People have painful medical conditions like interstitial cystitis that can worsen. So Mm -hmm. having that information can be useful in coming up with a diagnosis sometimes, but also in refining therapy for people. So it's very important Mm -hmm. to have that information if people are noticing a change. I mean, if they aren't, then they aren't. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. So when it comes to PMS, there are both physical and emotional symptoms that you list out in the book. So if we could maybe go over those and what would be kind of considered typical and what starts to branch into that PMDD, because 
I know that's probably a common acronym, PMS. You know, like we probably all can know what that represents to us, but we're so not good at determining if our baseline is normal to what the true baseline should be. So what physical and emotional symptoms can we expect during that time? Yeah. So, you know, PMS is a constellation of physical and emotional symptoms that only occur in the luteal phase. They only occur after ovulation. And that's why a menstrual calendar is really important because if you're having these symptoms other times, it's unlikely to be PMS and we need to look for other causes. So, you know, the symptom that, you know, I think most people hear about is, you know, mood swings, Hmm. feeling anxious or feeling irritable, feeling tired or having difficulty sleeping, bloating, you know, gastrointestinal types of symptoms, breast tenderness is another big one, you know, could be headaches. And so those, those are sort of the, I would say, you know, some of the more common symptoms, feeling overwhelmed, difficulty concentrating, you know, moodiness. So those would be the kind of symptoms. And you can have premenstrual symptoms. So you can have some bloating and a headache. You can have PMS where it's sort of more of a defined syndrome and it's having more of an impact on your quality of life. Okay. And then you can have PMDD, so premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which has, you know, a lot of those symptoms, the bloating and breast tenderness and fatigue, but also has, you know, more of a a depression and a more severe impact, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of the severity and more of a severity of the depression as well. And there are scales you know, to kind of look at and questionnaires, you know, and it's really important to get diagnosed because a lot of people are just pushed off and told, oh, you're just bitchy, right? When you actually have a medical condition and there's a medical Mm -hmm. condition that has treatment, you know, so panic attacks can sometimes be part of it, feeling out of control. And so, you know, the big difference sort of between PMS and PMDD is one, the severity of the symptoms, but two, with PMDD, there tends to be even a sort of a greater degree of kind of, you know, depression or thoughts of suicide, anxiety. So even more of the mental health symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me. I've been on this journey of trying to understand my ADHD, my late diagnosed 34 years old in motherhood and have lots of different guests on and, and read lots of the different research around what that means and how that contributed to my postpartum depression and anxiety and did it and was it a factor and all of these things. And one of the things that I came across just a couple of weeks ago was in some research, there is a link between ADHD being sensitive to the hormone fluctuations. So they are more likely than the average population to experience postpartum depression PMDD and like mood challenges or mental health challenges through perimenopause and menopause. And that made so much sense for my own experience. And we're looking to get the researchers on the show. So for those who do feel like they're not sure if it's PMS or like a more extreme form of PMS, or maybe it's borderline PMDD, but it's not debilitating to the point that they're like, gonna threaten divorce with their partner, you know, every month because it's such a pendulum swing. What might be some of the options for them if they are kind of like, huh, I mean, I sit kind of in the middle or it feels disruptive enough, but it's not like crisis mode. What can I do about that? You should see a medical provider and get a diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, that's, you shouldn't be self-diagnosing. I mean, especially, and I'll just add, sometimes it's also your partner is an asshole. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's another thing. Women take on so much and they sort of back lead. And sometimes I have women coming in my office and they tell me all the stuff they have to do in a day. And I'm thinking, okay, and what does your partner do to help? So I just always like to add that yes. just to make totally. sure. So so you need to see a medical professional, you know, Mm -hmm. there are standard ways to get diagnosed for ADHD. We have questionnaires to ask for PMS. We're going to need to see, you know, at least one menstrual calendar. So, so I think it's really important to go and get diagnosed and talk to a professional who understands about the conditions, especially I'm certainly not an expert in ADHD. We don't treat that in OBGYN at all. Yeah. And so, you know, if someone came to me and they thought they were having, you know, difficulties with concentration or performance and, you know, for some people, it might be cyclically related or exacerbated. Certainly, there are, you know, theories about estrogen and, you know, executive functioning and things like that. Yeah. Are some people more sensitive to that or not? But you need to see an expert in that field. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a valid point that you bring up. We talk a lot about the invisible load here and the division of labor. And part of it could be that we have more capacity to keep all the balls in the air at certain times. And then other times, if we are struggling and we have less capacity, like we need our partner more. Like there are certainly relational and motherhood dynamics that we carry that do not benefit our mental health. Like our the way motherhood is set up for us is not mental health friendly. And there are a lot of different things that play into that. So I think that, and I appreciate that's a very valid point because we carry a lot. So who benefits from the concept of mommy brain? Mm -hmm. A patriarchal society does, right? Yeah, It's easier to blame a woman and say she's incompetent and can't function as opposed to be like, hey man, childcare is an important thing. Or, hey man, like how can you work full time? You're the one picking the kids up. You're the one doing all that. Like, So I just think it's really important to just always have that as part of the conversation. Because whenever we're talking about a woman who's struggling to function, it's very important to look at that in the context, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's absolutely simply just a medical condition. But, you know, I would say that we have to just look at also what these narratives are serving on a population level. And, you know, what happens to people, for example, you know, I talk to people all the time who have difficulties with libido and are really interested in, but then when they're on their vacation, it's fine. And you say, okay, well, what's the difference there? Well, the difference is you're not burdened by all these tasks. And something that I've been very interested in reading about is when you look at the division of labor in a household, even if you look at a household where it looks like a man is doing a lot as well, he's almost always doing more of the fun stuff with the kids. Mm, So mm -hmm. he's less likely to be cleaning the vomit and cleaning the diapers. And he's the one playing in the front yard with them and doing those fun things. And so this has an impact on people. If you're just always doing the drudgery, you know. Mm -hmm. It's an important piece. It's such an important piece. As somebody who is a therapist and niche down in maternal mental health, I never in a million years thought that I would end up out the other side, an advocate for things like childcare, division of labor, challenging traditional gender norms. But when you start to see the pie and the puzzle of the things that contribute to the deterioration of our mental health in motherhood, 
there are for sure biological pieces to the puzzle, right? Like whether it's fluctuations in hormone or there could be postpartum depression or anxiety or these different things. But there is also this other big piece in how motherhood is set up and supported or not supported around us. And it's a really important point for us to always keep in mind and consider. Yeah, absolutely. So curious about going on birth control. And I've heard it said like putting our cycle into like kind of dormant or something like that. I just want to understand that because I see the fluctuations in cycles and the different things that happen. And then I see the graph of like what our cycle or our hormones look like on birth control. And I'm curious if there is a role that that plays here. Yeah. So I always say, are you concerned about pregnancy? Because pregnancy does those exact same things, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the birth control pill works as pregnancy works to stop ovulation. So when people are worried about birth control having an impact, then I'm like, oh, well, I guess people should never get pregnant then, right? Mm-hmm. So pregnancy stops you ovulating by the hormone progesterone. And that's exactly what the birth control pill does. It uses a progestin instead of progesterone, but but that's what it does. You're still actually having eggs that are developing and they just don't go anywhere. All the time that you're pregnant, all the time that you're on the birth control pill, you're just not getting those big hormonal fluctuations. If stopping those hormonal fluctuations were catastrophic to us, then we wouldn't survive pregnancy. So Mm, mm -hmm. the physiology, the pill is basically doing what pregnancy does to stop ovulation. Okay. So that's really what it does. And there is a lot of talk by people who profit from fear-mongering about the pill, about, oh, we should all be in tune with our cycle. And again, that's kind of this return to nature, obsession with natural. And there's a massive overlap with purity culture there. Because Mm, what does mm -hmm. natural mean? It means unspoiled. Hmm. So if you're going to tell me that you want to be natural, then I'm going to start using that term. Oh, so you want a woman to be unspoiled? Is that, that's Mm. what you want? It's not a term that should be, it's not a medical term. It's, It's a term that can be abused and to use however you want. So- I always say to people, what's your specific concern about hormonal contraception? And let's answer that question. Mm -hmm. So we don't have data to show that going on the pill and suppressing your hormones produces serious issues. In fact, we know that the birth control pill is the best studied treatment for PMS and PMDD, if you look at all the data. Yeah, that was a question. So Mm -hmm. it it, it can be really helpful, it was my understanding, right? It can be life-saving for people. Yes. Wow. Wow. For people with endometriosis, for people who have medical conditions that flare with their menstrual cycle, for people who don't want to die in pregnancy, you know, like people who don't want to have six kids, like people who want to just have sex when they want to have it, you know, that's what hormonal contraception can give people. So very effective for many medical conditions, but probably more effective, you know, or at least as effective, and it may be more effective than the antidepressants for PMS or, you know, I don't know if they've been studied head to head. So it's probably not a fair thing for me to say, Yeah, but yeah, it's highly effective therapy because we know that PMS and PMDD are triggered by changes in hormone levels. Right. And we can take the change away. So I always say is it's a very tone deaf, privileged position to say that the pill is harmful because there are people who mm. need it to function. Yeah. And there are people who need it to have the kind of sex they want to have. And, you know, the data on the pill and hormonal contraception causing depression, it's been looked at quite a bit recently. 
And studies are very conflicting. Mm-hmm. There are some studies that show no, and there's some studies that suggest maybe for one in 200 people, okay? Mm-hmm. And the younger you are, the you start, maybe you're more likely to be in that one in 200. But it's also really interesting that that small selection of people who may get depression on the pill, and again, it's a may, mm-hmm. they also may be more likely to get postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So it may not be that the pill is the cause, that hormones are uncovering the problem mm-hmm. in the same way that it happens with pregnancy. And that's kind of a different spin on it. So, right, you know, right. with any medication and contraception is no different, you need to look at how it's serving you and what it's doing for you. And if it's improving your quality of life, great. If it's not improving your quality of life, you shouldn't take it. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirin Areem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. I recently started on birth control for the first time in like, I don't even know how many years since I was like a young adult. (laughs) And it's been life changing for me as somebody who does feel like I really ride those waves to be able to bank on being able to consistently function in a certain way has been like really eye opening for me. And it's just birth control. Like it was such a light bulb moment for me. But it also kind of branches into, and I see you talk to this a lot, and I see a lot of others in the menopause world talk about this, 
when we're talking hormone replacement therapy and using hormones as treatment for symptoms, whether they're PMS and PMDD, but really I see it a lot happening more in the perimenopause, menopause world, these big conversations breaking out right now. And a lot of misinformation and a lot of controversy, it feels like, about whether hormone replacement treatments, and I don't know if birth control would fall into that category and how we were just discussing it, but people have a lot to say about it and have a lot of feelings about it. And it feels like it's an emerging area of research that I'm just seeing and hearing more about. I'm not sure it's an emerging area. I mean, I think if people are starting to talk about it, so maybe it kind of feels emerging. Okay. And I would say that there's so much disinformation out there that I would be incredibly wary about getting any information from someone who isn't a, you know, a member of the North American Menopause Society. Because a lot of people are making a lot of money saying a lot of things. Yeah. So it's hard to sort of put that all into kind of one bucket. So there are some people, so some people with PMS at PMDD absolutely get a worsening of their symptoms during the menopause transition. And there's two reasons for that. So one is at the beginning of the menopause transition, your cycle can actually shorten a little bit. Hmm. And what happens is it shortens in the follicular phase in your good time. So percentage-wise, you're spending more time in your bad time, right? Hmm. So if Mm -hmm. say you were normally 50-50, just to make the math easy, and then now you're 25-50, well, you have a much less recovery time right? Yeah. So there's that. There's also a lot more hormonal chaos. And again, remember, it's not the hormone levels that we think are part of PMS, PMDD, but the fluctuations. Right. So in the menopause transition, you get way more wide fluctuations. You can even get estrogen levels that are higher than normal. Some cycles, they can be lower than normal. You can have no progesterone. You can have progesterone. You can get all these permutations and combinations. And so for somebody who has PMS, that could absolutely make their symptoms worse. And the way to abolish that is the birth control pill Mm, because you can stop all those wild fluctuations and you can ride it out. If you don't have medical reasons, you can't be on the pill. You could take it to 55, go all the way through. That was a question I had for you. Because like, how do you know if you're entering into perimenopause or menopause, if you just stay on the pill, but you just can stay on it until 55? Yeah, because by 55, like, you know, 99 point, you know, whatever, 5% of people have gone through menopause, right? So interesting. Yeah, you take it to 55 and then you make the decision, you know, for somebody who's very hormonally sensitive, I wouldn't just stop the pill because that's a big drop, right? Gotcha. So I'd probably suggest that they step down to a dose of hormone therapy, menopausal hormone therapy for three to six months, see how they feel on it. We can talk about if this is something they want to do long-term or not, Mm -hmm. and then decide if they want to stay on it. You know, if they don't have any hot flashes, they're feeling fine. They don't have any other reasons to be on hormones and they might want to stop it. If they're like, oh my God, no, when I tried to stop it, I'd kill her hot flashes. I want to be on it. Okay. Mm. If they don't have any risk for it. So yeah. So there's no reason to suffer, you know, with those wild fluctuations in hormones during the menopause transition. Yeah. I'm seeing different types of hormones, pellets, different types of hormones. Like are all hormones created equally? Like who should we trust in having these conversations with? Yeah. So pellets are not recommended by any expert. They are a way for providers to make a lot of money Mm. to implant something in your body that is associated with a higher risk of complications and offers no benefit. 
So I always tell people, do you want to get cancer? Okay, pellets is a great way to do that. Mm. You want to have bleeding problems? Do you want to get frontal balding? Do you want to get clitoromegaly? Do you want to get acne? Pellets, that's what you want. Mm. If you don't want any of that, you want to go to a provider who gives you a pharmaceutical prescription. Okay. Yeah. So compounded hormones also in that same category, they are not well studied. They often don't get absorbed appropriately. It takes decades of research to figure out how to get a hormone through the skin or how to get a hormone absorbed through the gastrointestinal tract. We didn't evolve to get hormones that way, right? We absorbed Mm -hmm. for them to come through our bloodstream. So it takes a lot of science to do this. You want to get a pharmaceutical product because you want to know the amount of hormone that's going in your system in the same way you want to know the amount of gas that's going in your tank, right? Mm -hmm. You deserve that accuracy. And the dirty little secret behind hormone pellets and compounding hormones is they buy their raw hormone from the same source as the pharmaceutical company. Mm. So basically, they're taking the same product and packaging it worse. Mm -hmm. And presenting it as, I don't know, more natural or superior, right? Like I feel like in the misinformation that I come across a lot, it's a real push towards... Yeah, they're lying. I I see a lot of naturopaths and I hate to like, you know, call out people, but like, chiropractors or people who, I don't know, like who is the expert in hormones? Yeah, you know, like- so this is a really important point. Chiropractors are not medical experts. They're not. Yeah. And they don't learn about medications. Yeah. They're not experts in medicine. I don't know what they're experts in, but they're not experts in medicine. Naturopaths are not medical experts. Yeah. That's again, why you want somebody who's certified by the menopause society okay. or somebody who's a member of the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada, somebody who has demonstrated proficiency in the area that you want to get care from, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I see so much disinformation from naturopaths during the COVID pandemic. There were several papers that came out showing that they were offering, you know, stem cell therapy, you know, whatever therapies to treat COVID, you know, ozone, all kinds of things. A good way is, is that person sell a supplement? If supplements worked, they'd be in all the guidelines, Mm. right? So, you know, so I think it's just really important that what happens is people turn to those people because they don't get the answers maybe in medicine. And it's a shame. But I think that when you look at the healthcare system in Canada, for example, there isn't the funding to pay people to have the time to talk with the physician. There aren't enough Mm -hmm. physicians in Canada to do the job. So these other people are taking up the slack. And unfortunately, you know, many of them, maybe there's some out there doing good quality care, but you know, there's no naturopathic research that comes out. There's no like naturopathic technique that anybody in evidence-based medicine has adopted. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. And you bring up a good point with our system, with our general physician or like our primary care doctor often being the gatekeeper to these specialists or to an OBGYN. Like I can't just go and like in the States book in with an OBGYN. Like I had to be referred there for my family doctor. And so knowing the right person to ask for even to navigate the system here can be infuriating at times, especially after the pandemic when the whole system is kind of taxed and people are burnt out. But knowing who to have these conversations with, I think is so important. We have a team of perinatal mental health specialists. And if somebody is struggling with the nuances of adjusting to motherhood, I'm like a specialist who can understand and see and identify what an intrusive thought is and not report you as a result because they understand you know, the different thoughts that you're experiencing and the like high risk sensitivities of this time. 
is so helpful to getting the correct treatment plan and care that you need. And with hormones, I'm kind of like, who is the right person? Like, who do we ask for? But it sounds like an OB-GYN or someone who is also trained and certified to treat menopause. Yeah, there's also a Canadian menopause society as well. And I think that, you know, this is something for people to get active on a political level. Yeah. If people aren't getting the care they need, there's no reason that, for example, each provincial government couldn't have excellent online information about menopause. There's no reason at all. Mm. A lot of Mm -hmm. this could be available in every language for people, right? You could go to your library and access it if you don't have a computer or internet, right? So there are clear faults. And you know, you're in a healthcare system where the funding isn't there for, you know, women's health is completely underfunded. Yeah. And, you know, what's rewarded are doing procedures. That's how you make money. And mm-hmm. so if you look at people who are just sitting and talking to somebody about their health and they're billing through the healthcare system, how do you keep an office in downtown Toronto and pay those rents, right? Yeah. So, you know, unless you're doing, you're putting in IUDs and doing endometrial biopsies and doing these other things that, you know, mm-hmm. that actually reimburse greater. So, you know, we should be demanding of OHIP and all of the provincial healthcare systems that talking to a woman about menopause should actually be reimbursed appropriately. Should be a standard of care. Like, you know what I mean? It should be a part of like our well, physical, like you think of milestones in someone's life where we know that they are prone to experience certain things, right? Menopause being one of those sort of high risk times, like there should be conversations, but I can just imagine the amount of misinformation you get tagged in as somebody who like takes down this misinformation online and on TikTok, it must be infuriating. I can't even imagine being bombarded with that information all the time. I feel like because women have been underserved in the medical system, I don't know if that contributes to this real push towards this natural, like as you said, is being really kind of praised right now. I feel like women have just been kind of neglected and mistreated along the way and finding the right provider who is both an expert or credentialed, but also that they can trust and have rapport with. And those feel like they're hard to find. I think it, again, comes down to underfunding. I think it comes down to the fact that we're asking primary care doctors maybe to do too much. GPs, Mm -hmm. like, you you know, medicine is a lot more complex than it was 40 years ago. We have so many more medications and things we can treat. And 50 years ago, it's like, okay, here's an aspirin. You know, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just, they're just, more things. Everything's more complex, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, even thinking about from when I left medical school to now when people ask me questions about blood pressure management, I'm like, I don't know. Because there were like maybe three antihypertensives when I was in medical school. And now there's like a gajillion. Like everything is so much more complex that, Mm -hmm. you know, asking a GP to do everything and not that they're not equipped to do it really well. GPs are amazing. They are amazing people. But if we don't give them the time to do it, how can they do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it takes Mm -hmm. more than three minutes and, you know, they've got to work in all their acutely ill people and, you know, it's an art and a science to run a practice like that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that there isn't a reason why every province couldn't have a menopause clinic. Mm. We have cancer clinics, we have prenatal clinics, we have 
sports medicine clinics, right? Like mm-hmm. imagine a world like sports medicine is more important than menopause. And I'm not saying like, I don't want to play favorites, right? About yeah. like disease favorites because I have a sports injury right now. Like they're really important. But think about that. Like half the population is going to go through menopause. Yeah. And half the population, you know, not everybody's going to have problems, but it's half the population and we don't have enough people who can help. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, the governments need to be held accountable for. But think about it. Yeah. If I do a biopsy on a vulva and a urologist does a biopsy on a scrotum, so those are the same tissues, same procedure. The urologist gets more money. Mm. So what do you think then how that affects the pipeline of how people pick specialties? Hmm. That's so interesting. Again, when we talk about the things that play into this construct that we're living in, this unequal pay and all of that, and women's health being underfunded and not prioritized and frankly, not even really incorporated in research up until what, like 50 or so years ago. Less than that. It was 1993 in the United States when it became required. 93. That makes me want to throw up a little bit. So yeah, I mean, you know, I was already a doctor. So that's like how bad it is. Yeah. But yeah. But so, you know, I think that what we're seeing are the ramifications of systematic underfunding, right? Yeah. And yeah. the lack of attention. And we have massive gaps. And instead of helping to fill those gaps, there are predators taking advantage mm. of those gaps mm-hmm. and selling water sticks that will give your water coherency to help push water into your cells. Right. <laughs> the things that you must see, I can just imagine being yeah. tagged in. Or selling things. hormone pellets or yeah. telling yeah. you that you can do urine testing at home to check your hormones, right? Mm. Those things sound kind of sciencey, so they sound okay, but they're not. And so they're taking advantage of the gaps. And yeah. it's really sad. And, you know, I see complications, for example, from pellets all the time. Yeah. It's a real problem which is why I so deeply appreciate the work you do and your platform and your new book. I was like, how did I not have this education on my cycle just as a woman existing in life? So, so greatly appreciate you. Where can people follow you online, buy your books, check out your books, all the things? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's been great. I really, really enjoyed it. And I always love chatting with the Canadians. (laughs) So you can find me everywhere at Dr. Jen Gunter. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or X, Mm. whatever. Blue Sky, Threads, TikTok. But I'm really on TikTok too much. I get sucked in. I'm there. And then you're like two hours later and you're like, what happened? (laughs) So I've really just kind of divorced myself from TikTok. Fair enough. And then I have a blog called The Vagenda with a J. You can go to thevagenda.com. And uh, you can find my book everywhere in Canada, Indigo, um, independent bookstores, and via my publisher, Penguin Random House. So I hope to see you guys all on book tour too, which starts, I'll be up in Canada in February and March. Oh, so exciting. I got to check out what cities you're hitting and if you're going to be in my area. And we'll link all of that in the show notes. And I'm, again, so excited about the work you do. Appreciate your advocacy on behalf of women. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. I am so glad that people like Dr. Jen are out there combating misinformation, busting myths, and working to help everyone understand medical, physical, and hormonal science. In the social media age, false statistics and viral memes full of misinformation can spread like wildfire. And it's hard for us to determine what is real and what is not, especially if we see the same myths resurface time and time again. 
What Dr. Jen pointed out about the role of the patriarchy in the myths about periods and hormones is eye-opening. It's so important for us to understand where misinformation comes from or why we hear the same old wives' tales passed down forever, even when we have real data and information right at our fingertips. But sorting out truths and myths and vetting resources can add a lot to our plates as moms. And that's the last thing we need. So having trusted experts like Dr. Jen to reference real research is valuable. We all know that our hormones fluctuate, and I can tell you that I'm downright exhausted on certain days. And I do find myself wondering, does this have to do with my cycle? Or did I just not get enough sleep? Or am I just exhausted because I packed too many deadlines and to-dos into the day? It's hard to weigh everything out. And I can see why associating all of our fatigue or lack of motivation with our menstrual struggle would feel comforting at times. It's an easy answer that might give us a place to start problem solving. But I keep coming back to and thinking about what Dr. Jen said, that our periods don't make us fragile or hysterical or unable to get things done. And if they do, then there might be something more at play, like PMDD. Dr. Jen pointed out that rather than looking outside of ourselves for guidance on how our menstrual cycles affect our productivity or what we should expect to do in the day, we can instead start tracking our own symptoms for ourselves, noticing that if we do get exhausted right before our period or at another particular day in our cycle, we can make choices for ourselves that make sense. And we can also take that information to seek help from medical professionals who really understand reproductive and female health. And of course, I love that Dr. Jen brought the mental load into this conversation. Maybe we're exhausted because of hormones or something to do with our physical health, but maybe we're simply drowning in the mental load. The more I learn about maternal health in general, the more I think that everything needs to go hand in hand. We need to learn about our bodies and we also need to learn about our mental health. We need to reduce physical strain and we also need to share the mental labor. I think that's the ultimate takeaway today. Instead of looking for a quick fix like pellets or cycle tracking or anything that we think might free up our capacity, we might need to do more digging into our beliefs, our mental load, the pressures that we're carrying, and what we can do to find more freedom and give ourselves the time and space to dedicate to our physical and mental well-being. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to reach out and let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram or leave me a review and tell me what you connected with and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. And if you find yourself struggling with the invisible load or your mental health, working with a mom therapist can help. You can book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by Dr. Jody Paluski, neuroscientist and psychotherapist, to help us unpack what causes mommy brain and the role the invisible load plays. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well.
settling is not an option for everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.